This is Digital Story Podcast number 923, November 28, 2023. Today's theme is An Alternative to Black Friday Gifts. I'm Derek Story. I'm not against Black Friday or Cyber Monday, but the last thing you probably need from me is another list of sale items or door busters. So I'm gonna hang a U-turn and take you down a different road. I have this great idea for a gift that doesn't require your credit card, and it's one that could be cherished for years. And I'll tell you all about it on this week's TDS Photography Podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Before we pull out of the garage, let me explain a bit of what I packed for this trip. You see, we're going to need some pictures, not just any old snapshot, but images that take us back one, two, even three decades. After last week's podcast, I'm hoping that you've been thinking a bit about the files you've backed up and how you might be able to retrieve them. If they are not readily accessible because of old hardware or proprietary software, then you may want to read my article titled The Rescue Mission. I have a link in the show notes and you can read it for free. I think this might get your problem-solving juices flowing. If you already have access to those archives and friend and family photos from the past, you're ready to begin. The concept is to gather a batch of family photos and create a keepsake to give as a gift. Now, a common approach is to go ahead and figure out what shots you want. And a lot of times that will be determined by who you're giving it to. Like for instance, I'm gonna gather a different set of shots for my aunt on my mom's side than I would for my boys. Right. You know, so that they're a whole different thing. So whoever you're gathering for, that's going to drive the pictures that you choose. Now, a common approach is to print those images as four by sixes and four by six is kind of a nostalgic size because that's the size of print we used to get from the photo mat. And they're very common. And a lot of people have them stashed away in shoe boxes. <laughs> and I think five by sevens are a little too big. For this project and three and a half by fives are a little too small so four by six that's a real sweet spot for the photo album the memory album that you may be constructing here now this is very good for a single gift and i would consider special touches such as you know those little lick and stick photo corners they look so cool you can still get them on amazon uh, i have black photo corners and white photo corners, depending on, you know, what kind of images and what kind of paper they're going on in the album. Uh, really nice photo albums that have great paper stock, you know, so that, you know, really nice feels good to the fingers and you can put the photo corners and the photos on them. And then adding memorabilia such as report cards, certificates, graduation programs, all that stuff really kind of rounds out the whole presentation. And what's interesting is, if you're anything like me, you definitely have photos on the hard drive. You may have some snapshots in boxes stashed in the closet, 
but probably along with those snapshots that you have stashed in the closet, I'm guessing that you have some memorabilia as well. Sports tickets, for example, you know, that's always a great one. Report cards, as I mentioned before, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, handwritten letters are really great and uh, add a lot uh, to these sort of um, projects. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that you can mix in there with the photos to really make it neat. Now, the idea is that you're creating, as I said earlier, this sort of one-off keepsake, but you don't need any tools at all to view it, right? It's right there, it's on paper, you know, you can carry it around, you can put it on a bookshelf, you can hand it to somebody else. They're lovely. They're absolutely lovely. And if you haven't created something like this for someone special, whether it's a family member, a friend, you know, someone that you grew up with, you know, all that kind of stuff. Let's say you've been on a bowling team for 20 years, right? You know, there's some probably pretty good memories and pretty good snapshots and scorecards and stuff from then. I mean, when you really start thinking about, there are a number of people who would really enjoy this kind of gift. Now, what's the drawback to this? Well, you know, there is some time involved, of course, but I think it's an excellent excuse for you to sort of dig into your archives, whether they are digital or, you know, analog, and it can kind of jumpstart the organizing process. And as you recall from last week's podcast, what started my getting my act together that I had ignored for a couple of years was I wanted a set of photos from 2005. And I thought, hey, this is going to be easy. I'll just go to the hard drive, do this procedure like I talked about last week, uh, review those images, find the one that I want or the ones that I want, and, you know, copy it over to my computer and off to the races I go. And of course, I ran into a few barriers doing that. And that led to this whole, oh my God, my process is broken. What am I going to do? And then I solved it and now I have everything accessible again. It's funny how these sorts of projects, whether it's putting together a book of memories or just looking for a shot, can sometimes open our eyes to the situation that we have sitting on our desk or, you know, languishing in our closet and prompt us to solve that situation, that problem before it's too late. And that's what happened to me. Maybe something like this will help you refine your archives, help you refine the way that you're storing things. And so you can kind of do two things at once. On one hand, you're building this book. And then on the other hand, uh, you're kind of cleaning up <laughs> your storage system, your workflow there. But what if you want to make more than one thing? You know, the one-off is terrific. It's got pictures, it's got report cards, it's got certificates, it's got sports tickets, it's got all that stuff. Wow. I mean, what a beautiful thing to hand to someone. But it's not like you can make 20 of those, right? And what if you wanted to make something to distribute to a lot of friends or a lot of family members or a lot of co-workers, something like that? Well, once again, you start with, okay, who's my audience? And then you pull the images together for that audience that you think they would appreciate. And especially if you have some history together, 
That's where it gets really fun and really interesting. Then what if you make something different other than just a one-off handmade item? So my first suggestion is a hanging calendar with each month featuring a photo from these archives. So you'll put together 12 or 13 images, maybe a separate cover shot, maybe a 13th month as some calendars do. Could be a total of 14 images. And these would be the images that you really like, that make you smile, that warm your heart, all that kind of stuff, because that will be the featured image for a particular month. And we see calendars, you know, with all sorts of pictures and they're fun. I mean, even this day with all the electronic stuff we have surrounding us, a paper calendar hanging on the wall, or when you open up uh, the cabinet drawer in the kitchen and you see what's going on with the family, whatever, however you use these things, people still like them. I still like them. Basically everyone I know still likes them. And there's just something different about them instead of trying to, you know, scroll on your little smartphone to figure out what's going on there. And those pictures can really make this calendar unique because if you pull the 14 coolest shots from your archive for this particular audience, you know, kids doing fun things, uh, family celebrations where everyone looks good in the group shot, uh, you know, where the clothing is different, where the cars are different, where the house is different, where everything is different because it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, then that can be a really cool calendar. That can be really neat. And once you design that calendar, regardless if you use Blurb or Shutterfly or whoever you happen to use, once you design that calendar, then you can make as many as you want, right? You just say, hey, I want 15 of these. I want 20 of these. And the price probably goes down uh, the more that you order. The price per goes down. You, your shipping costs are more efficient, all that kind of stuff. Now, the thing I will say, of course, if you're going to do a calendar project, then that's something you want to get on sooner than later because whoever is making that calendar for you is going to need some lead time. They're going to need a week or so to do that. You know, 10 days is probably pretty good rule of thumb and you don't want it delivered right on the holiday. You want it delivered a few days before. So you have to do a little bit of math there, which means if you're doing a project like this, you're probably working on it pretty soon. But I love the idea of a memory calendar and something that you can make a number of copies of, and I think something that people would truly appreciate. Now, here's another approach that I think is really fun and unique as well, because I haven't seen people do this with them. <laughs> what am I talking about? I'm talking about fine art greeting cards. Fine art greeting cards are just wonderful for all sorts of things a workshop that you took, uh, a trip that you went on, uh, a project that you worked on that has steps, and you take the six or eight best shots from whatever the event was, and you make a set of fine art greeting cards, and you include the envelopes, and they just hang together beautifully. And so the person that receives this gift gets eight cards or 16 cards, if you want to put two in of each shot, you know, one for them to hang on to maybe, and one for them to share, that kind of thing. 
and they look absolutely wonderful and they're so classy and on the back of the card you can put your name you know and designed by Derek Story photographed by Derek Story conceived of by Derek Story designed in California you know like, I don't know maybe not quite that much but you get the you get the idea and the thing that's really fun about this is that yeah people have received sets of cards before but not a set like this eight of the coolest shots from the history archives each one making you smile each one bringing back a memory maybe on the back of the card putting a little context about you know who's in the shot and where it happened and a little information like that and don't be surprised if you do this that maybe someday you go over to that person's house and you see one of those cards in a five by seven frame i tell you this happened to me more than once and eh, it feels pretty good right but again on these sorts of projects you can buy a box of fine art cards from red river paper you can get the envelopes from them and you can make five six seven eight sets of these things once you get the printer rolling you know you get that card that you like then you just make 10 more of them, right? And then you go to the next card, you make 10 more of them, put them together in the sets, have the envelopes with them, bundle them nicely, you know, make a really good gift. People just aren't going to get this from other people. They're going to get something else. And you're giving them these memories and these beautiful photographs laid out on fantastic paper. I mean, honestly good stuff so that is another one that i think is really good the fine art greeting cards from the past now one gift or one version of this gift that was really popular a few years ago and then it kind of waned but now it's popular again are digital photo frames and they've really come a long way i don't know if you've looked at these things recently the quality is much higher you have more variety there are more different types of frames to choose from. Many of them are Wi-Fi connected, so you can load them up with photos, but then you can add photos remotely. So let's say that you did the digital photo frame and you had a set of pictures that you loaded on it. And then every month you added another batch of pictures because you could do that remotely via Wi-Fi. Now that would be very fun. It could be sort of like a digital version of the calendar in that uh, the pictures could sort of represent that month. So for instance, the summer months, let's say July, you know, you have summer photos in there. And then November, you have family gathering photos in there, you know, that kind of thing. And that could be really fun. And you wouldn't have to map out all the batches of photos ahead of time. However, you would want to stay on top of it, right? You don't want to say one thing and then not deliver. But I think digital photo frames these days have some real potential. Uh, they look beautiful and you can put together uh, some very nice presentations and then update them uh, remotely as you wish. And finally, I know this sounds corny, but hear me out. You can also make custom commuter mugs and coffee cups and things like that from these shots. And the reason why I say they're corny is because, well, they are. <laughs> they are. Let me tell you, I made for our family a custom commuter mug uh, way back when. I mean, like over 15 years ago, close to 20 years ago. And I bought the kit where you have the commuter mug, like the kind that you take in the car. 
but it came apart and so you could print a photograph and then slip it in there you know it was clear slip it in there and then you know put it back together and it was a customized commuter mug that thing i tell you you know we we've thinned out a lot of stuff over the years but that custom commuter mug with a family shot on it makes me smile every time and the boys look so freaking adorable in it so i know they're a little corny but they're pretty cool gifts and you know these are again photos that you have archived and that you have retrieved and that you have done something creatively with them family photographers are historians as well and if we combine some of this great content that we have in storage with a little creative output we can warm more than a few hearts this holiday season the battle against ai imagery sony gets closer to new crypto signature and you can read this entire article on fstoppers.com and i have a link in the show notes i think this is fascinating uh, leica uh, has also come out with a camera that is testing this functionality let me read you a little bit about it as ai imagery becomes more realistic and the barrier for entry for AI image creation gets lower, the need to authenticate whether an image is real or fake has become imperative. While fake imagery has always been an issue in the world of photojournalism, AI imagery and the like have made things drastically worse. Because while manipulating images is one thing, creating images from nothing but a thought and selling them as real is an entirely different story. And this is the problem that Sony aims to solve with this new in-camera authenticity technology. This technology aims to combat the problem by applying a machine-based digital signature to image files at the point of capture. Because the signature is applied inside the camera, it removes any opportunities for images to be manipulated between capture and delivery. While this may seem similar to what Leica recently announced with the new M11P, the difference is that the Leica technology currently uses a dedicated processor for the signature to be applied. The technology that Sony is using is built off the current hardware, not only making it easier to implement in future cameras, but also making the technology backward compatible with certain older models via firmware updates. So while the Leica version of authenticity is still a great thing, the Sony version makes everything more accessible, giving it a chance for wider implementation. Although this technology has not been fully released or finalized, plans for crypto signature to be accessible on the new Sony A9 Mark III, as well as the older Sony A1 and Sony A7 Mark III via firmware updates. So I think this is pretty exciting, and this is something that I honestly believe will help. What we want to do is give photojournalists a way to authenticate their work and to differentiate it from things that are just made up on a computer screen. And I'm glad Sony, Leica, and I'm sure others will be working on this as well. The 2024 TDS Photography Workshop season 
just want to review our lineup for 2024 in case you've missed the last couple podcasts. I'm really excited about all of these events. I'm just going to run through them for you quickly. Online event in February, Photo Critique and Building Your Portfolio. In April, we're going to Sedona, Arizona for Spring in Sedona, and that's an in-person event. In June, we're going to do an online infrared photography workshop. In August, we're going to tackle inkjet printing for photographers online again. In October, we're going to Durango, Colorado and Mesa Verde National Park. And in November, we're going to Safari West and Wine Country in Sonoma County. There's a link to all of these events in the show notes, or you can click on workshops up at the top at thedigitalstory.com or go to thenimblephotographer.com and click on workshops there and you'll be able to see more detail about all of these events, read about them. And if you wish to reserve a spot, you can do that there as well. We're going to have a blast next year. I hope to work with you in person, online, you know, some way where we get to collaborate, share stories, and make some great photographs. Pop Photo is dead again. <laughs> Poor Pop Photo. You can read this entire story on petapixel.com, and I have a link in the show notes. After shuttering in 2017 and reviving in 2021 as an online-only magazine, popular photography, known as Pop Photo, has let go its last staff members and is effectively dead again. The last of Pop Photo staff has been let go from the publication this month, Petapixel has learned. While the website is still available to peruse, the most recent story was published several weeks ago. Sources say that no current dedicated staff members are contributing to the site, although some maintenance may be taking place with the help of its sister site, Popular Science. After shutting down in 2017, Pop Photo was revived from the dead in December 2021 by Recurrent Ventures, a digital media company that operates online publications such as Futurism, Popular Mechanics, Dwell, The Drive, among others. Recurrent launched popular photography behind a former DP editor who left then the Amazon-owned publication to lead the revival. Quote, this relaunch marks the introduction of a new editorial team, a refreshed design, and more. The new popphoto.com will include regular coverage of smartphone, photography, and social media, how-tos for all skill levels, cultural commentary, and reviews of new and used cameras, and gear all with an eye towards accessibility and affordability, Recurrent wrote in 2021. According to social media, the editor remained at Pop Photo for just one year as Recurrent began to rein in its investment in the once-renowned publication. It then operated the site with bare-bones team that focused on deals and reviews over the next year. The previous commitment to regular coverage was pulled back significantly. At its peak, Popular Photography Magazine, which was owned and operated by Bonnier Corporation until it closed the first time, 
which is now focuses its efforts on fishing, boating, motorsports, and hunting magazines, had a circulation of nearly 1 million. When the physical magazine shut down, that number had fallen to 320,000, according to the most recent media kit at the time. In related news, Popular Science will no longer publish a printed version of the magazine for the first time in its 151-year history, following a series of layoffs that left around five editorial staff members and a few others on the commerce team, Axios reports. Recurrent will transition PopSci to a fully digital strategy behind a new CEO, the third in three years. So when I was a young photographer, just chomping at the bit for every bit of information I could get my hands on. Pop Photo was my favorite magazine. I just loved reading. I read everything. I read it from cover to cover. I read all the ads, all those little, uh, you know, that whole ad section in the back of it for, you know, B&H and Adorama and all those folks. Oh my gosh. I never could imagine that I could get that many hours of entertainment out of just one magazine, but that's how cool they were. It's sad for me to see them go. It's sad for me to see that they couldn't even make a digital version go. Uh, it's tough these days, right? These sort of things are hard. So bye-bye, Pop Photo. I'll miss you. May you rest in peace. One more footnote I want to make, uh, then we'll get to our Virtual Camera Club news. Kodak's new Super 8 film camera is actually coming out. And this entire article is on The Verge. I just want to read you a snippet of it. I have a link in the show notes. Kodak is gearing up to actually sell the Super 8 film camera it announced way back at CES 2016. And by the way, I was there then and very excited about it and have lots of pictures from the Kodak booth. Back to The Verge here. It's updated the camera's product page with a new sign up to buy button to allow potential customers to register their interest. Kodak's global managing director for motion picture, Vanessa Bendetti, tells The Verge that the company expects the camera to go on sale in limited quantities in the US on December 4th before releasing in Canada, the UK, and other European markets. When it goes on sale, the camera will be a whopping $5,495. That's not just expensive when you consider that, as 404 Media notes, vintage Super 8 cameras can generally be had for a few hundred bucks. It's also expensive compared to Kodak's previously announced pricing. When the Super 8 camera was first announced in 2016, Kodak said it hoped to charge between $400 and $750 for it. By 2018, it had already increased to the potential price between $2,500 and $3,000. Kodak is inviting interested customers to sign up to receive more details via this reservation form, which it says you need to fill out even if you're already on the previous reservation list. One final word of warning for anyone who hasn't shot on real film before. 404 Media notes that one $35 Super 8 film cartridge can only shoot roughly two and a half minutes at 24 frames per second. Pick your shots carefully. When this was announced at CES, 
oh, they did a great job with the booth. It was fantastic. The camera looks great. They're bringing onto the new camera like a nice LCD screen, ports so that you can record audio digitally to go with the film, all that kind of stuff. So it was really neat to see this kind of this merging of old and new. But wow, my gosh, $5,495 plus the price of film and processing. Boy, you really got to want it. Boy, <laughs> you got to want it bad. Okay, let's take care of a little virtual camera club news. First, I want to thank our Inner Circle members, the folks that support this podcast month in and month out. They have a water cooler to hang out at on Derek's Story Online. We have our own space for them to share photos, ask questions, share anecdotes, and just sort of have someone to hang out with who appreciates the same sort of things that you do. Inner Circle members also get a discount on all of the workshops I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Great group of folks. Hopefully you will join us in 2024 or join us right now. <laughs> Don't wait. Don't wait till next year. You might forget. Join us right now. I hope to get to work with you in our Inner Circle space in person at a workshop or online via Zoom. And a big thanks to our Inner Circle members for supporting this podcast. And finally, a huge shout out to our friends at Red River Paper, longest running sponsor of the digital story. We're starting an online printing workshop this week, this week. So I've got boxes of Red River Paper out. I've got notes and interviews from Red River staff. So much of my content is based on the work that I have done with them. And I'm so appreciative. If you want to do some of these projects I talked about in this podcast, go to Red River Paper site. All you have to do is click on the tile that's on all the pages of the digital story. You can find things that you need there. The fine art greeting cards, the envelopes, printing paper, all the stuff, tutorials, templates, one of these ideas that I talked about today light you up, chances are very good that you can get what you need right now at Red River Paper. And don't delay. Make sure you have that stuff in time so you can put your project together and share it with friends and family. Red River Paper also has a terrific Facebook page at facebook.com slash Red River Paper. And a big thanks to them for supporting this podcast. All right, it's going to do it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. More great stuff for next week. Make sure you stop by and join us. Until then, get out there, take some pictures, find some pictures. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye now.